Father God, thank you for the so many reasons we have to worship your holy name. God, I pray right now as we begin to look at your word and look what you have to say to us. God, I pray that you be glorified by the preaching and teaching of your word. God, thank you so much for the people that are gathered here in the name of Jesus Christ to sing your praises. God, to lift up your name and to to honor you, God, through studying your word and seeing what you have to say to us. God, I pray, Lord, right now, God, that our hearts and our minds would be clear of all the things, all the distractions of this world. God, so that we can tune into the voice of the Holy Spirit, the small, still voice, the Holy Spirit that wants to speak to us and encourage us. I pray that we tune in right now to that voice. In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen. All right. Well, last week we began a series in Joshua called Gone Before. Um, we had to be really cool and hip and trendy and put up a really neat logo for you. Uh, that is Gone Before. Uh, that is just a really cool way of saying before. Um, we have to be really cool and trendy if we're going to meet inside of an old grocery store. We have to have a really cool logo. Um, and that is it. Um, what we're talking about in, in this series is how God had prepared a way for Joshua, after Moses had died, for Joshua to lead the people of Israel, the Israelites, into the land that had been promised to them. Uh, these people had, uh, they had sent out spies previously to go and look at the land that was supposed to be there, theirs, that God had promised to them. And, and the spies came back and reported back, and, and most of them, Actually, uh, 10 out of the 12 of them said that, that, that there's full of giants. There's, there's terrible, uh, mean, horrible, amazingly large people there that are going to crush us if we go in and we try to destroy them. And there were these two spies. There's this guy named Joshua and Caleb who said that, man, if we go, God has promised us victory. And he, and he has promised us that we will be able to take this land because he said it's ours. And so we studied in the book of Joshua chapter 1, we saw how... Uh, at the very beginning of God's calling on Joshua's life that he said, be strong and be courageous. you got to be strong and be courageous. And, and we talked about how, you know, how, what that means in our lives. And we are, are filled with doubt and we're filled with fear and, and we're filled with all those things that make us say that, no, we can't do this. One of the things that I, I can't stand is the word can't. Uh, in, in my household, if my daughter says that I can't, it drives me crazy. And I'm like, who told you that? Who told you you can't? Um, you can say, I'm too lazy. You can say, uh, I, I, I don't want to right now. You can say that, that I just I don't have the desire to. But to say that you can't, I don't know where that comes from. I'm like, don't be telling me you can't. You can say you don't want to, but to say you can't is not true. And, and in that passage we saw in Joshua chapter 1, we saw how God said to Joshua, be strong and be courageous. You can do it. You can because I said that you can and we talked about the fact that God had gone before Joshua and he went to the people and he told them to say exactly back to Joshua what God had told him and that was to be strong and be courageous. And because God had gone before Joshua to those people and settled their hearts on what they were called to do, they were able to, to say, Joshua, we will do whatever you've called us to do. We will do whatever God has told you that we're supposed to do. We can because God said that we can. It looked at Joshua and said, only be strong and be courageous. Have you ever felt like, I don't know, like, like maybe you weren't good enough at some point in time? Uh, you ever felt like, well, I, 
I've done some stuff in my life, or I've got a past, or I, I, I just, you know, I'm kind of the black sheep of my family, or I'm the runt in my family. Does anybody here happen to be a youngest child, by the way? Yes, amen to that. Um, I am a youngest child. Um, I know that when we went to Pizza Inn, uh, when I was a little kid, it was a, uh, it was a fight, a downright fight, to see who would get the last piece of pizza on the tray. I can remember that. And I, you ever seen the, the images of the little pigs trying to get to the trough and there's that one little pig that just can't quite get there he's he's scrounging around he's trying to get to the trough but all the other ones are so much bigger than him and he's he's the one trying to get there and he just can't make it and you see him and you feel so sorry for the little one you're like oh man you'll give him some food he just wants to eat like everybody else but he's too small he can't get there well that was me when I was growing up and that's what it was like at pizza inn and we were sitting at the table and the, everybody just swarmed the pizza and I would try I get one piece and that'd be about all I could get I was kind of the run of the family, and, and I, I was smaller and, and a little more frail, I guess you would say. Everybody was old. I mean, everybody was at least six years older than me. My oldest brother, he was, he was 11 years older than me. Uh, and, and I can tell you that uh, they took advantage of that when I was a kid. I'll confess that to you right now. My older brothers and sisters, they, they took advantage of that. I can remember sitting in the back seat of the car uh, if I wasn't riding in the back windshield where all the kids rode when they were little, um, I, I was riding, I, I, for whatever reason, I wanted to ride right between my brother and sister. We'd have this 150-hour car ride that my parents thought it was good to take us on, and, and, and I would be in the front seat to begin with, and, and we'd sit up there, and we'd be having a good time and everything, and then everything would change because I would say, I want to get back there with my brother and sister. Let me get back in the back seat with them. And that's where it all went downhill for me. I would get in the back seat, and things would be good for, you know, six, eight, ten seconds maybe. And then things would go downhill, and my brother and sister, they would start fighting. And I was in the middle, and he was hitting her, she was hitting him, and I was getting hit because I was in the middle. And then my mom would say, I have had enough. This is it. We're done. There is no more fighting in the back seat. And she would bring out the infamous flip-flop. Um, I don't know. It didn't matter if it was the dead of winter. She always had a flip-flop with her to beat us with. To beat us with. And uh, for whatever reason, uh, I was deadly afraid of the flip-flop. It was very painful to me. Um, so what would happen as being the runt in the family, the one that's stuck in the middle because nobody wanted to give up and sit on the hump like I was forced to do, but I was sitting on the hump in the middle, my brother and sister in the midst of my mom losing her mind, ready to just beat us all to oblivion, they would go shoom like this out to the windows. I'm talking like Spider-Man like this up against the windows. And they would be out of the way, free and clear from the damage and the havoc that was about to come my way. And my mom just wanted to hit somebody that was, that was in the back seat. And, and unfortunately, it was me because I was stuck in the middle. You know, everybody else was up against the windows and I was in the middle. And I was like, why does this always happen to me? Why am I always stuck in the middle? Why am I always the runt? Why do I get left out at Pizza Inn? Why, why, why? And you know, some people, they feel that way about their lives a little bit. They, they, go, they look at their, their life, they look at maybe their family, and they go, why? Why was I born into this family? Why, why, why do I have this particular job? Why do I have this, uh, this history? Why do I have maybe, maybe family issues? I don't know. Maybe some people have got, got brothers or sisters that, or, or moms and dads that abuse them, and, and they ask, why am I in this situation? And maybe they feel like on some level that their history or, or what has happened to them is holding them back and holding them back from God being able to use them for his glory. Well, let me encourage you today. 
today is a very encouraging message for those people that have a past, those people that, that are seeking and searching. And with, what would God have me to do? What, what is God trying to do in my life? And will I be able to overcome the situation that I'm in? Will I be able to overcome the past that I have so that God might be able to use me? And when I say that, there's a lot of people right now going, that's me. Let me tell you something. That's me too. And that's a lot of us in here. Don't feel like it's just you because a lot of us are in situations where you go, how did I get right here? Why did this happen to me? Can God still use me? And the answer is absolutely yes. As a matter of fact, I have said this before and I'll say it a thousand times over. I believe that God uses people that have been through the most to accomplish the most. If you have been through trials and difficulties in your life, God will use those things for his glory and for your good. And he will be able to use those things to accomplish much in your life and the life of the people around you. See, we, 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 ha- we happen to listen to this voice of Satan. Because we do have an enemy, you recognize, right? we got an enemy that's constantly speaking in our ears saying, you're not good enough. You're not going to be able to get past this. You're not going to be able to do this or do that. Look at your past. Look what you've done. Look, look where you were. There's no way that you're going to be able to accomplish anything for God. Look at you. Look at where you are. And we're so tempted to listen to that voice. We're so tempted to, to listen and go, you know what, you're right. Uh, I, I've done some bad things in my life. I, I've never been really faithful in my attendance to church. Let me tell you something. God wants something different in your life. God wants to use you. He wants you to surrender your heart and your life to him so that he can use you. And we're going to find out this morning that there was this lady who was, her profession was that she was a prostitute. And here these people of of Israel are trying to go in and, and take this land that's been promised to them. This lady named Rahab, she's she's there and they send in some more spies. Let's look in your Bibles in Joshua chapter 2. Thankfully, we've got the uh, verses on the screen a little bigger this morning. Last week, they were a little small. That was my fault. They're a little bigger for you to read along with us this morning. Joshua chapter 2. Let's read about Rahab. Then Joshua Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp. Acacia Grove. He instructed them... Scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of the prostitute named Rahab and stayed there at night. Let me, let me point out something to you, first of all, is that, that Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp. I think that Joshua probably learned about what happened the last time they sent out some spies. The last time they announced it to everybody, we're sending out spies to go into this land that God has promised us, and we're going to see what's over there. I think Joshua probably learned his lesson, so he said, this time we're going to send spies, but we're going to do it secretly. Not everybody's going to know about it. The purpose of this mission was very different than the purpose uh, of the mission that Joshua and Caleb was on. This mission is to go and spy out and to see how they can take down the enemy. Uh, This is like definitely black ops, kind of Navy SEAL, kind of we're going in to spy it out, reconnaissance reconnaissance mission kind of thing going on. And and here he is, he's sending out two spies secretly. And he tells them, go in to, uh, to, to around Jericho and see what you can find out. And they go to this prostitute named Rahab. Now you say... Wow, okay, a prostitute, huh? That's where they're, they're going. Yeah, that's exactly where they went. Um, 
for one thing, I believe there's multiple reasons probably. For one thing, her, her house was strategically located, and it was near the gate, and it was on the, uh, on the wall, the backside of the wall, so uh, she was strategically placed where her house was. Plus, the other reason is there probably would have been a lot of men going in and out around Rahab's house. You know what I'm saying? So uh, if that's the case, if people wouldn't have thought it terribly unusual for people or passers-by to go in Rahab's house and come out after a period of time. So God, even though this woman... Uh, was a prostitute, God was still able to use her. We're going to look at that a little bit more as, as we go through the passage. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelite spies have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent out orders to Rahab, bring the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. I want you to recognize something here. That when the king of Jericho asked you to do something, he doesn't really ask you to do something. He said, bring out the men. It doesn't, like he, it doesn't seem like he's asking anything. He's telling her, bring out the men. Point them out. Show us where they are. So what does that indicate to me is that, is that the king of Jericho was probably doing this, and, and Rahab probably recognized that her life was on the line. If she didn't comply with the king, that it was very likely that, that she might lose her own life and even the life of her own family if they found out that she was hiding spies out. This woman who was a prostitute living on the walls of Jericho, that God had sent these two spies in and they happened to go to her house. And, and, and the king goes, show them to me. Where are they? Tell me where they are. They've come here to spy out the land. It says in verse 4, it says, Rahab had hidden the two men. But she replied, yes, the men were here earlier. But I didn't know where they were, were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch them. Actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath the bundles of flax she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossing of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's man, men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. So this woman has taken these spies, these Israelite spies, and she's hidden them out. Now, at this particular time, they would take bundles of flax and they would put them on their roof to dry them out because they would use them later on in construction and all this kind of stuff. And she had, she had taken them, she put them up on the roof, held them, hid them out behind these bundles of flax so they couldn't be found. The king of Jericho comes to her house and says, all right, show us where these men are. Now, Rahab lies. She tells a little white lie. You can imagine if you're in that situation, somebody's threatening your life with the fact that you better tell us where these men are, these men that have come to destroy us and spy out the land. You better tell us. I imagine, hey, Rahab's not a perfect person. Not by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, probably in the, in the fact that, that she lived a, a sinful life, a life of sin. And, and understand that Rahab wasn't like uh, a Canaanite. She wasn't a Canaanite temple prostitute, which may have been the higher end of the two kinds of prostitutes in this day and time. She was kind of the lower end of the prostitutes, and she just did this for money. She, she just prostituted herself out for money. Here she is. She's, she's threatened by the king of Jericho, and he says, Tell me where they are. Where have they gone? And, and Rahab, she goes, 
I didn't really know where they were from. I didn't know what they were here for. I didn't know why and why these men were here. And, and they, they just left. They, they slipped out the gate right before it closed, right, right before dust set in because there would have been a lot of people rushing out the gates right before the, the dust came. And, and, and here she is. She's saying, that's what happened to these guys. I didn't know where they were from, but, but they've left now. They've gone. You need to go and chase after them. So she sends the guys out. She sings the king's uh, henchmen. You know, these are like mob bosses almost. They got these guys that are here to, they're like thugs and they're going to try to beat her up or kill her or whatever they need to do to find these men. And I think she was probably very strategic in the fact that uh, she said, she said, yeah, there, there were people here. And she probably recognized the fact that people had seen these men come in and out, so she wasn't going to deny that they were ever there. She just said, yeah, there were some here. I didn't know where they were from, and they, they slipped out under the cover of darkness. So she told them, man, you need to go chase after them. She's trying to portray that she's on their side so that she can protect these men. We see that in just a second. It says in verse 8, Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. Listen to this. This is a Canaanite woman who is a prostitute uh, in the middle of a very vile and awful and terrible community of people. The Canaanite people in the, inside the walls of Jericho, um, they would have been doing things like uh, worshiping other gods. And when they worshiped other gods, they, they, they would be having the, these, uh, these wild parties, if you know what I mean. They would be having these wild parties with lots of people around. And they would also be doing things like sacrificing children, like taking children and burying them alive. I mean, a vile, awful, terrible people. Some of the gods that they worshiped required child sacrifice. They would lay them up on altars and, and, and cut them or, or, or burn them alive. Or bury them alive. This is the world that Rahab was living in. A very vile, awful, terrible, sinful place. And here we see Rahab hiding out these two spies. And she goes up and she talks to them before they went to bed that night. She says, I know the Lord has given you this land. What? What are you talking about, you know? How could she have known? How could she possibly have known? How about a God that has gone before? Just like in your life, the difficulties, the trials, the temptations, all the stuff that you face in your life, God has gone before. And he has prepared hearts and he has prepared minds and he has prepared a way for you to succeed. If you will follow his path and follow his way, he is already working. He's already working. This is what she says. I know the Lord has given you this land, she said. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord has made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know that you did to, to Shyam and Og and the Amorite and two Amorite kings east of the Jordan, all the people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have been melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord God, Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. This is a Canaanite woman living a vile life, living in the midst of, of dreadful, awful sin. And I believe that this is, this is a woman that had a seeking heart. She was a woman that, that was seeking after God. 
Because she was seeking after God, she found God. God spoke to her. God was able to use her. These these people she's telling them, she's giving these spies information that is critical to them being able to take the town of Jericho. She is giving them, feeding them information because God has prepared a way. And she says, we know we know about this God that you have. We know about what he has done. We know how when you went into a town before and how you would just destroy everybody. Now, some people would say, what kind of God goes in and, and does that? A God who is trying to make a way for his people. He is completely justified and just and righteous in, in his ways that he does, does things. And, and people say, well, how can a God do that? God is making a way. And he has made a way. He is putting fear in the hearts of these people. And this, this Rahab, this, this prostitute, is feeding these spies information. She's going, our hearts are melting with fear. Because your God is supreme. The supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Here we have a woman with a seeking heart. You know that in your life, you know what God wants? You know what God really wants from you? He wants a seeking heart. He doesn't require you to be righteous. He requires you to to thirst and hunger for righteousness. It's not like you have to live this perfect life in order for God to be able to use you. The difference is that you've got to have him at the center of everything and you say, God, your will be done and not my will. I'm going to mess up and sometimes I'm going to fall short and some things I'm going to do are going to fall short of your glory, but I want you to be the center of everything. I want to seek your face and seek your will for my life. I want you to do what you need to do in my life and I'll surrender to that, whatever it is, even if that means going up against some of the most vile, terrible, monstrous Canaanite people, if it's facing up against some some difficulties maybe in your family or or an addiction maybe that you have in your life, maybe an addiction to pornography or, or some sort of substance or something like that, facing those kinds of things, that's what God wants you to do. He doesn't want you to be weak and intimidated by those things. He wants you to be strong and courageous because God has laid out a way for you to succeed. And he doesn't require you to be perfect. He doesn't require you to have all your ducks in a row before you can follow after him and do what God would have you to do. If you keep waiting on on perfection to happen in your life, you're never going to get there. You know why? Because we're not perfect. I know that comes as a surprise to some of you. We're not perfect. If you keep waiting on perfection before you do things for the kingdom of God, you're going to be waiting forever because it's never going to happen. You know what you need to do? You need to get get off your rear end and go and say, God, whatever you would have me to do, I'll do it. Because you have gone for four and you have made a way and I'll do it because you said I could. I'm going to struggle and I'm going to fight sometimes. And God, there's going to be sin that's going to enter into my life. I'm not going to let it be a habit in my life. But if it comes in, I'm going to do my my best to turn away from it and turn towards you because you are at the center of my life. And I believe that that's what this woman had. Rahab, she had a seeking heart for God. She wanted to do the things that God wanted her to do. And look at the impact it has. It doesn't just have an impact on Rahab. It has an impact on everybody around her. Verse 12 says, Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that the, when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live. Along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all their families. She says, When you come, 
and you destroy this place. Look, look at how she says, she didn't say if. She didn't say if you destroy this place. She says when you do. That's how confident she is that the Lord God is going to do what he says he's going to do. God who has gone ahead and prepared her heart for what's going to happen. She says when it happens, do me a favor. Spare me. Spare my family. Save us. She's crying out to these men and ultimately crying out to God. Save us. This is what the men say in response. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then, since Rahab's house was built uh, into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days from the men searching for you. Then, uh, when they have returned, you can go your way. Before they left, the men told her, We will be bound by the oath we have taken. Only a few followed these instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from your window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father and your mother and your brothers and all your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go out into the street and are killed, it will not be our fault. But if anyone lays his hand on the people inside this house, we will accept responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by this oath in any way. I accept your, ter- your terms, she replied. And she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. The spies went up into the hill country and stayed there three days. The men who were chasing them searched everywhere along the road, but they finally returned without success. Then the two spies came down from the hill country, crossed the Jordan River, and reported to Joshua all that had happened to them. The Lord has given us the whole land, they said. Very different response than what they got the first time they went into to Canaan. They said, for all the people in the land are terrified of us. This is the message that Rahab had relayed to the spies, and this is the message that the spies relayed back to Joshua. They are terrified of us. She said, you know what? If you're going to come and take this land, the thing that I ask is that you save me and you save my family. You rescue us, and and we don't want to be killed because we know that you're going to have success in this place. And she talks with such certainty about what is going to happen. And what does she tell them? She tells them, all right, they're coming after you. I know they're coming after you, so what you got to do is you got to go up into the hills. Don't cross the Jordan yet because they'll be looking for you there. Who told her that? Who told her what the spies were supposed to do? Who told her the way that they were supposed to go and how they were supposed to hide out for three days? Who told her that? Did she make it up? I believe what happened was God had impressed upon her heart what to tell these spies and where to send them and and how to orchestrate things. I believe that the God had gone before and, and prepared a way so that these spies would be saved so they could report back to Joshua the very same thing that we read in his word right here, and that is the Lord has given us the whole land They said, for all the people in the land are terrified of us. That's the message God wanted to get back to to Joshua. And this is is what happened. They said, we're going to spare your family. We're going to save them. You've got to keep them in your house, though. And the way that we're going to recognize that it is your house is because you're going to have this scarlet rope dangling out of your window. And that's how we're going to know that the people inside this house are supposed to be spared. Now, what does that remind you of? When you see a scarlet rope 
Oh, there's so many things that we could say about scarlet, the, 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 the color scarlet. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as crimson, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be as scarlet, they shall be as wool. It's, it's, it's the sign of sin for one thing, right? It's the symbol of, of, of sinfulness, right? We, we read about the scarlet letter, right? And it's, it's something that signifies something awful and dreadful and terrible, right? Sin, sin is what it represents in a lot of ways. But what does it also represent? The cleansing blood of our Savior. One that washes, takes his crimson blood and washes white as snow. One that takes his, his scarlet blood and makes it clean and perfect and renewed. What does it also remind us of when the, the children uh, of Israel were coming out of Egypt and the fact that, that they had to put, what was it, blood above the door, right? To protect them so that when the death angel came through to wipe out people, that their house would be spared, right? It's a sign of covering. It's a sign of safety. It's a sign of, of, of Jesus' blood covering over, keeping you safe, keeping you unto himself, and protecting you and saving you. And these spies say to Rahab, you put a scarlet cord outside your door and you will be saved. You know, I, I, I hate to give you a little spoiler here, but the spoiler alert, the, the walls of Jericho came down. By the way, in case you didn't know that, in case you hadn't read the story, the walls of Jericho did come down. So I want to show you what happens to Rahab in Joshua chapter 6 real quick. In verse 22, after the, and we're going to go there next week, by the way. We're not going to skip over the walls coming down. We've got to talk about that. There's no way we can skip over that. I'm not skipping that. I'm sorry. So in, in, in chapter 6, we're going to talk about... Uh, when the walls came down. But I wanted to skip ahead just a little bit to talk about what happened to Rahab when the walls came down. In verse 22, it says, Meanwhile, Joshua said to the two spies, Keep your promise, go to the prostitute's house, and bring her out, along with all her family. And the men who had, sent the, uh, who had been spies went and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, and all the relatives who were with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. Then the Israelites burned the town and everything in it, and only the things made from silver, gold, bronze, and iron were kept in the treasury of the Lord's house. So Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. Her and her whole family were spared. As a matter of fact, not only were they spared, not only was Rahab able to be used by God to, to get this message back to Joshua for the spies to come in and check out the place that they were going to figure out how they were supposed to defeat Jericho, but also she now lives with the Israelite people. She, she now lives amongst the Israelites. You say, well, that's pretty cool, right? That's amazing that God would be able to use her in that way. Oh, but it gets better than that. If you think for a second that God can't use you because of your history, your past, what you've done, what you've said, where you've been, all those other things, you are sorely mistaken because I want you to see something about what happens to Rahab. You know all those things that in Matthew chapter 1, so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so, and you think, well, that didn't even mean a whole hill of beans to me. I want to point, to you, point out something to you in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. Saman, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of 
Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. You know what happened to Rahab? You, you know what her, where her story ends? She was in the lineage of King David and ultimately to Jesus Christ. This prostitute who had a seeking heart for God was able to, to be in the lineage of Jesus Christ, King David and ultimately Jesus Christ. You know why? Not because she was righteous. Not because she had done some perfect stuff. It's because she had a seeking heart for God. And she said, God, you save me. And you and your life, the things that you feel like are a scarlet letter written on your chest, let me tell you something. They don't mean a whole hill of beans to God because God says, I am bigger than that sin. I am bigger than your past, your history, what you've said, what you've done. I am bigger than that. And I can use you if you will seek me and make me the center of your life. A God who has gone before. You know, to me, I think about this story and I'm like, I think the walls of Jericho were just as much about Rahab as they were about the Israelites. I believe in my heart, what I believe as I was reading and studying, I believe that God was looking at Rahab. He had to bring the children of Israel into the Canaan land and he had to show them that this was the land that he promised them. And Jericho was the first town on the way in. But being the God that he is, being the, the God that our God is, this holy God, this, this God of all gods, as Rahab said, there was a seeking woman, a woman who was seeking God in her life, and she was in this town. And I believe God rescued her just as much as he delivered the Israelites into the land that he had promised them. God's all about killing two birds with one stone. And I believe in your life, as you seek God and you try to do what God wants you to do in your life, I believe that he will take down some walls in your life. I believe that he will make a way for you to go. At the same time that he rescues you from, his sin, from your sin, he will also do things around you and may very well even save your family as a result. I've talked to so many people that have, uh, because they've surrendered their hearts and life to Jesus Christ and have done what God has told them to do, their family has come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ themselves because they just continued to seek God, and that's all they did. They said, God, whatever you want to do in my life, I'm open to it. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to give everything to the one true God, to, to Jesus Christ, who is asking you to surrender your heart and life to him? And are you willing to lay it down on the altar of sacrifice and say, God, here is my life. You can have everything. 